This episode contains graphic details of murder and other crimes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Not Always Polite. I hope you guys had a great week so far. Today, I have a very interesting episode for you. Well, I think it's interesting. I hope you think it's interesting too. If not, sorry. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. So today, we are going to Kincardine. Kincardine is about like 45 minutes to an hour from where I grew up. I used to play soccer in Kincardine all the time. Um, yeah, so, hey, King Carden, <laughs> shout out to y'all, um, but today, yeah, we're gonna be talking about the case of Dusty Bowers, so I have a little bit of a longer episode for you today, so I guess we'll just hop right into it, um, before I do start, though, most of my information came from a documentary done by W5, which I will leave linked, it was very good, there wasn't a ton of information, besides like a really old um, newspaper article that I could find. So shout out to you, W5, for this documentary. Very good. Um, But yeah, let's get on into it, shall we? So Julie Bowers was born in 1964. There was not any uh, information on her early life. So I will just give you the information that I do have. She was said to be the black sheep of her family, and her sister said, quote, we all treated her badly. We were just heartless. And her father said, quote, she treats people like dirt and is foul-mouthed. So, that's some mixed things. Um, Julie had at least one twin brother, one older brother, and her sister, Lynn. So, big family, and they lived in Kincardine. At the time, King Carden had about 6,000 people, so I would say it's like a small town. Yeah, small town, I think, would be fair. So, the case takes place in 1998, when Julie was 24 years old. She went into the bank with her two-year-old son, Ben, and left Dusty. So, they, his name was Dustin, but they call him Dusty, so I'm going to refer to him as Dusty. He was sleeping in the backseat of the car. Now, obviously, you wouldn't do this now, but 1988 was a different time, so she just left Dusty sleeping in the back seat. She left him in the car, and they waited in line for her favorite bank teller. They were, she was the favorite teller because she would give the kids balloons. So the teller gave them two balloons, one to take back for Dusty, but when she got back to the car, Dusty was gone. So Julie starts screaming and yelling for someone to call 911 because someone had stolen her baby. So the first police officer on scene was Detective Dave Quinn. He actually wasn't even working that day, but he was in dropping off some paperwork or something. And he was able to get there on foot. He just grabbed a radio and like ran over there um, within like minutes. So he gets there and he notices that the car seat, the straps are buckled up and the car was unlocked. Now, it didn't say if Julie had unlocked the car when she got there or if she had left it unlocked but 
Detective Quinn thinks it's weird because if someone stole the baby, why would they take the time to buckle his car seat up, you know? Which I agree, that is weird. Oh, and I don't think I said this, but at this time, Dusty is 11 months old. So he's one month away from turning a year. So um, they this was on January 14th. So the next day on January 15th, Julie goes into the police station for an update and she sees Detective Quinn. She says that she had a dream that he was out in the snow near some trees. Quote, if I saw the place, I think I would recognize the place. So at this time, Dusty had been missing for 25 hours and Detective Quinn takes Julie with his partner to drive around to see if she could find the place that she saw in her dream. So they start driving out of Kincardine. They go away from the downtown, past the hospital, out a side road, and back to the highway known locally as the B-Line. They pass McConnell Line, and she tells him to turn around and go back. At this time, Detective Quinn sees footprints going off into a wooded area, and he gets out of the car. Julie follows him out and walks towards the footsteps. She looks into the woods and starts screaming that she can see him. She sees her son laying in the snow. Detective Quinn prevents her from running into the woods, I'm assuming, to preserve the crime scene. And he escorts her back to the cop car and he puts her in the back so that she doesn't, like, run in there and stomp all over everything. Um, So Detective Quinn turns around and heads back over and he can see a blue snowsuit lying in the snow. He was covered with a small layer of snow and he had tears frozen to his little face. He had a pale blue toque that had fallen over his eyes. At this time, the crime scene investigators are called and they arrive and take pictures and evidence. Um, This takes about an hour. An hour later, um, the crime scene guy picks up the baby and brings him over to the detective. Detective Quinn says in the W5 documentary that he took an emergency blanket out of his car and he laid um, Dusty on it. He says, quote, I couldn't just let that baby lay on the ground any longer. Now, it is noted that they did not try and resuscitate him. Detective Quinn said this was because he was clearly dead. The coroner pronounced him dead at the scene. This was around 3 p.m. on January 15th. Now, a little uh, funny side note. My, My parents were on the fire department back home, and I was in probably grade six, and, um, my dad had gotten called to a bad accident and um, the buses were canceled because um, like they were late picking kids up because the road was closed and um, uh, we were told it was because they were waiting for the coroner. Now I'm from the country uh, where there's lots of farm equipment and I thought the coroner was the corner and it was something um, a piece of farm equipment that had to deal with corn. (laughs) I thought that there was like a big machine that had something to do with corn that was in the road and they couldn't get around it so they were waiting for the coroner not somebody that would like deal with dead bodies i thought it was a piece of farm equipment so if you ever feel bad about yourself at least you didn't fucking think that shit so at this time julie was charged with first degree murder The Crown Attorney, Brian Farmer, um, he actually is currently a lawyer practicing in London, which I thought was cool, but he announced the news to the community because they were all, like, out searching for this baby. So, 
basically the whole town thought she was guilty. They're like, yep, she did it. It was Julie. Um, so yeah, she was uh, arrested and charged with first degree murder. She was released on bail and her charges were eventually reduced to second degree murder. Fast forwarding about two years on January 17th, 1990, her trial begins. It was moved to Toronto so that she had a better shot at a fair trial because of the rumors that were swirling around back home. Um, and her lawyer was a pretty famous or like, I don't know. Yeah, famous, I guess, lawyer, um, Jack Finkowski. The prosecutor was Brian Farmer, the guy I mentioned earlier. He actually says that it was the most traumatic case he had ever worked on, and he still sees Dusty's eyes every single day, which is really sad. So, trial begins, and on the first day, Brian Farmer outlines his case to the jury. Basically, their whole thing was how else could she have led the police to his body if she didn't do it which yeah i get that um but they had no idea on the motive on why she did it so one of the main points of contention i guess in this case is the autopsy so the autopsy was done by dr charles smith he ended up being one of the most disgraced pathologists in Canadian history. But at the time, he was considered a medical god. He worked as a pediatric pathologist at Sick Kids in Toronto, and he was going to testify that Julie left Dusty in the snow before she reported him missing, basically putting her guilty, making her look guilty. But... There was no motive and no physical evidence. So his testimony was really important for the, um, for the Crown, the prosecution. He told the jury that parts of Dusty were frozen solid. In his medical opinion, he had been left out in the cold for 27 hours. That puts Dusty out there for um, one hour before she reported him missing. The timeline that he presented to the jury was that the baby was abandoned around 12 p.m., he was reported missing at 1 p.m., and they found him at 3 p.m. the following day, which fit the police's theory perfectly, which, great, case closed, Julie's guilty, done. But there is a problem. Before the trial, Dr. Smith offered two other timelines before coming up with the one that fit the Crown's theory perfectly. The first theory was that he was left there around 4 p.m. on the 14th, and another was that he was left there at 7 p.m., before deciding that he was left there at 12. The defense had a field day with this. They destroyed his credibility, which he eventually did for himself. But um, Brian Farmer stated that this had a profound impact on the jury, which, yeah, if this guy's making shit up, I wouldn't believe him either. So just a little bit about Dr. Smith. Um, he had a long history of tailing his theories to fit the crown's um, theories. In 2005, 45 of his child autopsies were reviewed in a provincial inquiry. The findings were that Dr. Smith made questionable, questionable conclusions in 20 cases. And as of 2019, five of his convictions or five convictions that he testified on were overturned due to his findings. So although at the time he was a medical god, <laughs> knew he was not, he was lying. But yeah, so that's Dr. Smith. That was the first strike, basically, against the prosecution. And as if that wasn't bad enough, um, the 
defense brought in Dr. Janice Oppovan. Op- Op- I'm going to pronounce that wrong. But basically, she told the jury that Julie could not have been responsible for the death of her son. So Janice, Dr. Janice, is a pediatric pathologist from Minnesota, and she was flown in by the defense to testify. She was, slash is, considered to be one of the world's leading experts in child hypothermia. And she has never been discredited. So that's a good, a good thing for her. She said that given the duration that he was supposedly outside, his body would, was not as damaged as it should have been. This goes directly against Dr. Smith's testimony that he was frozen solid. She said that if he was left out as long as police say he was, that yes, he would have been frozen solid, but his tissues say otherwise. Basically, all that was shown on Dusty's body was that he had um, like a cold, like an injury from the cold on his cheek, and he did have some effects um, on his vocal cords, like effects from the cold, but there was no tissue or organ damage that you would see if he was frozen solid. Now, Hold on to your butts because things are getting real. The biggest bombshell that she dropped was something that I did not see coming. Now, remember how I said earlier that um, Detective Quinn said that he was sure that Dusty was dead and a coroner pronounced him dead at the scene? Well, this doctor thinks otherwise. She says the most likely timeline puts Dusty dying while he was in the body bag being transferred to Toronto for his autopsy. So she says that they should have started resuscitation immediately. In a case of hypothermia, they should not be pronounced dead until they are warm. She says that the rule is they are not dead until they are warm and dead, which I have heard before. Not sure where I've heard that, but I have heard that before. So not only was no attempt made to resuscitate Dusty, but he was left on the side of the road for more than three hours while they did the crime scene investigation. And then he spent three more hours in a body bag being transported to the morgue in Toronto. Another lawyer working on Julie's defense team says that the police and the OPP handled the case horribly. She says they didn't investigate anything and they basically had tunnel vision focused on Julie. There are five footprints found near the body and the police did not measure the depth of the prints, the distance between them or anything like that to identify if Julie had made the prints or not. Because it could have been, maybe she wears like a size 8 women's shoe and the prints were like a size 10 men's. That would very clearly say that Julie didn't do it if like, or she was wearing other shoes, but that's not really possible because of the timeline. But anyways, they didn't look into any of that. They also did not secure her car properly, so they like left it out in the cold. So by the time they went to dust for prints, they had been destroyed by the weather. Cool. So if somebody had gone in and um, like opened the door to take Dusty out, they wouldn't have been able to see that. The worst part for me is that his clothes were never sent for forensic analysis. So um, obviously he was 11 months old. He can't fucking walk. So if somebody kidnapped him, they didn't take his car seat. So they would have had to carry him. So more than likely their DNA would be on his snowsuit and they didn't, they didn't do that. And maybe they wouldn't have been able to tell because it did snow on him, but who knows because it was never sent off. The police also did not look into a mystery man that was seen in the area. He was seen carrying a child wearing clothes that matched Dusty's description around the same time that Julie was in the area. 
The man or his vehicle were never located, although a witness was able to give a brief description of them. Julie's defense team also made the decision to put Julie herself on the stand. She says that she did not lead police to his body, but simply asked them to extend their search past the town limits. She went along with the detective, and they gave her the choice to start by going left or right, and she chose right. According to Julie, over a 20-minute span, her and Detective Quinn and his partner drove up and down the side roads in the area until they found his body. So, I'm sure you're thinking what I was. If Julie didn't do it, then who did? It seems like she's a pretty likely suspect, but the defense claims that it was Julie's own twin brother, John, her sister-in-law, Helen, and her older brother, Alan, that covered it up. The motive for their alleged involvement is that there had been another occasion that Julie had left the kids in the car unattended, and her brother, John, and his wife didn't like that. They felt that it was unsafe, which, yeah, it probably was. So the defense speculates that they took him out just for a few minutes to teach her a lesson about leaving them unattended, but things went too far, chaos ensued, the police got involved, and they panicked. John claimed um, that he was 30 minutes away at their sister Lynn's house when Julie reported Dusty misting, missing, not misting. But Lynn says that he left her house a full hour earlier. He says that he took a different route home, one that was a little bit longer, and it took him directly through the abduction site because he had, quote, a gut feeling that something was going to happen to one of his relatives. Julie's lawyer says that this is much more bizarre than a mother dreaming of her missing child, which I'm not sure that I agree with because it's both, uh, they're both weird as fuck. So <laughs> I think it's both sus, but I do think that this theory does make sense. Um, Helen, uh, her sister-in-law, also insisted that Julie tell the police about the dream. She wasn't even going to say anything because she didn't think it was relevant. But Helen was like, no, tell them about the dream. So that kind of put the, the target on Julie's back, taking it off Helen's. She also claims that she went out the night of the 14th, um, she being Helen, around the time that the police speculate that Dusty may have been abandoned to go to the hospital to get sleeping pills for Julie. But two hospital nurses say that there is no record of her being there. So if she was out, she wasn't at the hospital. Additionally, later that night around 4 a.m., about four kilometers from where the body was found, a farmer says that he saw a car similar to Helen and John's with two people in it and what looked like a bundle of clothes in the back seat. More investigating proved that Julie and her sons were seen at a donut shop about 10 minutes before she went to the bank. Given this, she would have not been able to drive out to the side road, dump her son, and come back to the bank before Dusty was reported missing. Plus, she went in the bank, did that. Like, there, the time just literally is not possible. So, after all of that, the jury went and deliberated, and they came back, and Julie was found not guilty. She was acquitted of all charges. In the W5 interview, Julie actually is on there. She says that some of the jurors even stayed in touch with her after the trial, which seems weird to me. I mean, that doesn't seem like it should be allowed, but I mean, okay, that's good. But essentially, many people still believe that Julie got away with murder, including her brother, Alan. Locals that were interviewed think that the case should have been reopened and reinvestigated, which I agree. There was a five-month review done in September of 1990, and it concluded that, quote, 
No further information of probative value has come to the attention of the investigators, and the case was closed. And it's widely discussed that there's no evidence that the police followed up on any of the defense's claims or investigated it at all. To this day, Detective Quinn does think Julie is guilty and that she got away with murder. Um, In that same documentary I watched, her lawyer, Brian, says that um, he doesn't quite believe that she was ever guilty. He thinks that the jury, based on the evidence and testimony, were validated in their decision. So after the documentary, the police did reopen the case and have um, are going to perform a full review on it. And a tip line was even created to help get answers in the case. So there is a person out there, potentially still alive, who left Dusty out in the snow. So if you or anyone you know has any information, please contact the Dusty Bowers OPP hotline. It's 705 716 four six eight five and just to kind of debrief i know that was a lot of information um i at, when i first started researching this case i definitely thought julie did it i was like no yeah she's sus as hell you took the police to where your fucking kid's body was obviously you did it but the more i read into it the more like detective quinn could have been making this shit up how like it's he said she said honestly And unless someone else confesses, we probably will never know who left Dusty out there that day. So definitely let me know what you guys think on Instagram. I'd really love to hear your opinions on this. Um, My Instagram is not always polite. uh, And don't forget to leave me a review uh, wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can leave reviews now. Oh, and if my grandma's listening, my mom just showed my grandma how to listen. So if you're listening, grandma, hi. How are you? I'm so glad she helped you figure this out. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, a great rest of your week, and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.